This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Let me take you back 40 years ago. 40 years ago to my home where I grew up. It was a fall day, much like the warm fall days that we've had in the last few weeks, a warmer kind of day. The leaves changing, there's reds and there's golds and there's burgundies and they're cascading down. The sounds that they make as you walk by, as you drive by, it's a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. And my father, who's a school teacher, had picked me up and we needed to stop over at the local town next door so that we could go to the hardware store there. He had to pick something up and so we were driving. He was driving that wonderful 1983 blue station wagon. Gotta love the 80s. Gotta love that blue station wagon. Nothing, nothing, just nothing like it. And we pulled up into the hardware store, massive big steps to get you into the storefront. And my dad began to walk the aisles and talk to the clerk and pick up the things that he needed. I don't remember. Maybe it was nails. Maybe it was, he was puttering. My dad would putter every now and then. How many of you know what it means to putter? To putter around? Yeah, some of you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, on the other hand, began to have a conversation with a fancy red baseball cap that was on the counter. It was nice, and it talked to me, and I, it wanted me to take him home. I'm, of course, at eye level with the counter. I'm like, that is a nice baseball cap. I would like to have a baseball cap like that. My dad is down the aisle talking to the clerk. And I decided I did not need to involve my father in this interaction. Why distract him with something so petty? And so I took the red baseball cap. And I ran out to the blue station wagon as the leaves fell down and I hid it underneath the back seat. Did not want to bother my father with the red baseball cap. And then I went back inside while he finished to do what he needed to do with the clerk, picked up whatever it was, hinges, bolts, nails, and then drove home. It was out the kitchen window that my mom noticed me wearing this red baseball cap for which this invites a conversation. Where did you get the red baseball cap? What baseball cap? Where'd the red baseball cap come from? She has a conversation with my dad. Where'd the red baseball cap come from? I've been found out. I took it. I took it from the store. My father embarrassed, my mother irate for what she's listening right now, probably laughing in the living room as she remembers this story from 40 years ago. He took me back to the hardware store. I had to apologize to the clerk. I was sure I was going to jail that afternoon. My father's not going to let me get out of that. <laughs> I had to apologize. Sir, I'm sorry. I took this. It didn't belong to me. And it cost me. I didn't have to pay for the hat, but it cost me in my relationship with my father. I took something that he said I wasn't supposed to have. We are takers did you know that? We are takers at heart. We like to take things. I was what, maybe five years old, maybe six years old? You didn't have to teach me how to take. 
We could do a simple case study, a simple, a simple exercise if we just took a whole plate full of cookies and I set them over in the pre-K room and we stepped outside and we looked through the window of the pre-K room. What will you see? And they will help themselves, won't they? Because we are takers at heart. No wonder that in the Ten Commandments, God says, don't steal. Don't take. We've been unpacking the Ten Commandments for the last couple months. If you're a guest to us, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, you can get caught up if you wanted to listen to other messages in this series. You go to whoishouseontherock.com and listen to that. Uh, that would mean a lot to us. Maybe you'll find something helpful. But even our study in the Ten Commandments has been a part of something a whole lot bigger. The Ten Commandments, along with the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, are big pieces of important information that have been handed down for generation upon generation upon generation to followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we've unpacked that. In the beginning of the year, we talked about truth. The Apostles' Creed. Some of you grew up saying the creed in church. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's important to know truth. To know truth. Through the summer, we unpack the Lord's Prayer. We say it at the end of every gathering. I encourage all of our followers and disciples of Jesus to say the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I went to a wedding yesterday. Different church, different community, different followers of Jesus. But guess what we said? We said the Lord's Prayer. They said it wrong. I didn't want to point that out to them, but they did say it wrong. <laughs> they said trespasses instead of debts. Many of you have brought up to me that I have taught it wrong. I haven't kicked you out yet. Fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, a moment of prayer, we said the prayer together. But then the Ten Commandments. These words that God gave to his followers at the mountain as he has brought them out of slavery, out of destruction. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Have no other gods but me. God is creating kingdom space for them. You're about to move into the promised land. You've left disaster and death and slavery. You're going to move into a space where you are to thrive in relationship with me. Here's how you do it. You know what? I'm the only God. Don't make for yourself idols, graven images. You're my image. Carry my name correctly, my reputation. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor the heritage of faith that you receive from your mother and father. You know what? Don't kill each other. I'm really thankful for what Adam, one of our elders, taught us last week. Don't commit adultery. Why? Because God says, I keep my promise. What is adultery but the breaking of a promise between a husband and a wife? I keep my promises, you keep your promises. So let's continue today, the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. Let's write that down. You shall not steal. I remember my mom teaching me the Ten Commandments, and when we got to number eight, that was the easiest one. Because if you take an eight and turn it on its side, it looks like handcuffs. No stealing. No stealing. Like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, maybe that'll help you. I don't remember any of them, but number eight, that's no stealing. We've got to start somewhere. We'll start somewhere. Write that down. You shall not steal. Why? Why does that have to be taught? 
Why does that have to be commanded? Well, because we are takers at heart. We take. As a result, we rob ourselves of life. The Ten Commandments are about creating life. How to love God, how to love others. First tablet, how to love God. Second tablet, how to love others. At our heart, we take. So today, what I'd like to do is help us understand that idea that we are takers at heart. And then some warnings that Jesus gives us about that diagnosis. And then how we can move into receiving what the Bible calls real treasure. Real treasure. Should we do it together? The Bible can be a very complicated book if you open it up. But one of the things that it likes to do is teach through patterns. Meaning you'll see a pattern in one place and it likes to bring that pattern up other places to help us remember important stories and important truths. So if I see something here, I very well might see it in other places if it's important. The way words are are linked together or certain phrases or ideas. And what's really important is the very first time the Bible describes something. The first time it's mentioned. You know what the very first act of treason was by humanity? If you had to go through the Big Ten, what do you think the first one was that we pulled off? Wasn't making idols. Wasn't the Sabbath. Wasn't honoring parents. Adam and Eve, it wasn't murder. Wasn't lying. Yep, you guessed it. The very first act of treason on behalf of humanity against God We took something we were told not to take. Isn't that interesting? God says, I have laid out a wonderful creation for you. I want to walk in relationship with you. You can have all of this except that. Don't take that. Don't eat from that tree. No different than if we were in the pre-K room and it was a plate of cookies. What does humanity do? take. We took. And what was the result? We lost relationship with the Father. Creation cascades into treason and destruction. But what's interesting is that play, that pattern of seeing something that's good and desirable and something that I want and something that will elevate me, something that will give me power and position, taking something to get power Taking something, that phrase comes back more than a few times throughout the Old Testament because we're takers at heart. If you move forward just a few chapters to chapter 16 in Genesis, Abraham and Sarai, given great promise, God says to Abraham, hey, through you I will raise up a great nation and through that nation I will bless the whole world. Abraham's like, question? We don't have kids. How are we going to... I will, you will have a child. I will bring a child through you. Through that child will be great promise. Question, we don't have kids. I'm old. She's old. Don't worry. Trust me. Trust me. I will give you. Time passes, no kid. And it says in the story that Sarai took her Egyptian slave, gave her to her husband, Abram, 
rapes this woman and they have a child through that slave. It specifically says that Sarai took her. What happens when humans take things they're not supposed to have? Bad things, right? Bad things. Because we're takers at heart. We take things that don't belong to us. You can move forward in the story to another place. Uh, If you were to look in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Israel as a nation looks around to the other nations that they're surrounded with. These other nations, they have kings. We want a king. We would like to have a king. They have a king. They have someone to lead them out into battle. They have someone to look to, someone that gives them hope and encouragement. Can we have a king? Samuel, who's a prophet for God at the time, was like, are you serious? God is your king. You don't need a king. God's your king. No, no, no. We would like a king we can see and one who will talk to us and the one that we can follow. We would like a king. And so it says Israel took Saul to be their king. If you know anything about Saul, that didn't go very well. Sometimes we're like Eve and Adam and we take things because we want power and we don't want to be underneath what God has to say. Sometimes we take things because we don't trust God's plan like Abraham and Sarah and we need to take control. We can't see what God wants to do and we can't trust so we take things. Sometimes we take things because we compare ourselves with others. We want to be like others. Like Israel took a king. Sometimes we're like David He took something. David's up on the porch of his palace. Specifically, the Bible says it was a time when kings were supposed to be off fighting battles. He's at home up on his porch. He looks down and he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath. This happens to be one of his best friend's wives. This happens to be the wife of one of his dearest, closest soldiers and fellow warriors. And it says that David took Bathsheba. Then David would go off and have the husband murdered, the child would die, and David's reign cascades into destruction. Because we take things. Sometimes we take things because we desire things and we will not keep our desires in check and our desires under control. We are takers. Specifically, when we think of stealing and taking, we often think about money and we often think about possessions, and that's perfectly okay. That's certainly connected with that. I mean, who's heard of retail therapy? Right? <laughs> Ivy's like, yes, yes. I don't have a problem with that. I know people who do. Retail therapy, what? You know what? Well, we just need to go buy some stuff. I will feel better if I buy some things. Who's done it? Who's done it? Yeah. Thank you for being honest. Pretty bunch of liars. We'll get to that one next week. Wait till Doug starts. <laughs> Oh, yeah, if I could buy this, it will make me feel better. If I could possess something, oh, if I could take something, yeah, definitely, for sure. Because we're takers at heart. Advertisements are geared towards that. They present us with a comparison. Oh, if I could have that, like that guy in the picture, then I'll be like that guy in the picture. I was, you know, scrolling through Facebook, just reading your guys' posts. Make sure you guys are all behaving. Um, and an advertisement came up for this, this green vest right here. Isn't it a nice green vest? I like it. I haven't taken it off in two weeks. My wife's like, it stinks. 
I tell you what, the guy who was wearing it, he was a young 20-something. He looked like Superman. He was built like Superman. He had biceps like Superman. What went wrong? Thanks, Mo. <laughs> I don't know. I thought for sure that if I could have Superman's vest, not that Superman wears a vest, but this guy was built like, shaped like Superman. He had this vest on. I said, That's a nice vest. If I could have that vest, I'm sure I would look like that. I get the vest, I put the vest on, I walk out in front of my kids. My son says, you look like a hobbit from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I don't want to look like Superman. Not a little, short, fat guy with a pipe. <laughs> Thank you, son. I compared to myself, and I thought for sure if I could take something, it would make me feel better, and it would stand in the gap. We take things. And this applies to all of humanity. It's not those outside of the church versus those inside of the church. A follower of Jesus Christ is just as susceptible to the temptation because we're all takers at heart. I could prove it to you. I could prove it to you in this very moment. I've been teaching a class on how to study the Bible every Sunday night, kind of imparting to people the skills of Bible study. We're followers of Jesus. We learn his word. How do you do that? It can be confusing. And so for the last two months at five o'clock, I've gathered with some people and the class has dwindled in size and size. And that happens all the time. There's about five or six of us that get together now at five o'clock to learn how to study the Bible. What if I said tonight at five o'clock, we're going to approve the budget? What if I said tonight, we're going to approve how I spend your money next year? Would I have more people show up? Yeah, I would, wouldn't I? I would, wouldn't I? Why? Well, that's my money we're talking about. Because we're takers at heart, aren't we? It's money. What if I said, hey, let's get together tonight at 5 o'clock to pray. Let's just gather for prayer. Let's seek God's face. Let's hold up the, the souls of our neighbors. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray that our souls would be set on fire. If I were to pull out a directory, there's roughly between 240 and 260 people that call House on the Rock home. How many people would come? There's things to do. It's okay. But what if we start talking about money? What happens? Why is that? It's okay. I'm smiling. Everything's all right. You're okay. <laughs> We're takers, aren't we? We're takers. Possessions. Money. To be a taker is not consistent with what it means to be made in the image of God. And that's what the Ten Commandments are about. Shaping us into the image of God and acting like God and becoming like Jesus Christ. While one half of the ten, the, the first ten, this is how to love God, this is how to love others, right? There's also a parallel from the corresponding command. I mean, if you look at one and you look at six, they have a lot in common. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the only one. Because he's the only one and we're his image bearers, oh, we don't kill each other. We don't kill each other. Well, at the same time, if you look at number three, 
Don't take my name in vain. Carry my reputation well. That has a lot to do with don't steal. Because God doesn't take. God doesn't steal. What does he do? He gives. God is a giver. Jesus embodied this completely. You follow through the Gospels. You watch Jesus move from person to person to person. And what is he always doing? He's giving. He's healing. He's restoring. Not taking life. Giving life. So much so, it culminates in what? Him giving his own life. And if that weren't enough, he said, no one takes my life. I lie it down freely of my own accord. No wonder that Jesus warns and speaks most emphatically about money and possessions more than anything else. When he brings hard language, when he comes down on something, normally it has to do with possessions and money because we're takers. Let me show you. If you were to turn to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, this is Jesus not mincing words. But Jesus' warning about our heart, a heart that takes. In Luke chapter 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 13, and I'll go through 21. I'll make just a few observations maybe as we go, but see if you can imagine the story that he tells. Luke chapter 12 in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Sounds like somebody wants to take. Verse 14, but he said to them, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Then he said to them, everyone, take care, meaning watch out, warning, pay attention. Be on guard against all covetousness. We'll talk specifically about covetousness in two weeks. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's interesting, isn't it? Life is not connected to the things that you own. Like warning, pay attention. I'm from Western Pennsylvania. We have roadside warning signs, construction signs all over the place. Why? Our roads are terrible. This is the way it is. We know, my kids know, when we go from Ohio into Pennsylvania, we don't need a sign. Because as soon as you go on the highway on 90, once you cross from Ohio side into Pennsylvania side, the road just dies. It's holes everywhere. And sometimes they'll put up signs, right? Watch out. This will destroy your life. This will destroy your car. Watch it. Jesus is saying, watch it. Possessions, the pursuit of money, this will destroy your life. Take guard. Your possessions do not bring you the life that you're chasing after, that you want. He told them a parable to illustrate this. Verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Good crop. Good year. Nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with that. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Good question. I have more than I have need. I have more than I need. What do I do with the extra? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns 
and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, is there anything wrong with having? No, is there anything wrong with having a lot? No. Is there anything wrong with him storing all that needs to be stored? It needs to be stored somewhere, right? Where did we go down a dark path? You know what? Now I don't need to do anything. Now I can relax. I can enjoy. I can be merry. I have all the treasure that I could possibly need. And God said to him, fool. My translation, you're an idiot. It's emphatic. It's harsh. It's dark. Moron. Do you not understand? This night your soul is required of you. In the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Isn't that interesting? He says, you robbed God. You stole from God with that taking heart of yours. You can rob God. You can steal from him. Oh, most definitely, yes. You can take things that don't belong to you. The prophet Malachi says this explicitly. Israel had gone down a very dark place. They are oppressed. They are outcast. They're enslaved. And they want to know, how do we get back to God? How do we get back into relationship with God? We've really messed this up. We're in a, how many of you know what that feels like? I have really ruined my spiritual life. I am enslaved. I am in chains. In Malachi chapter 3, it's the last, last book of the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 3, these are the words that he says. Just listen, okay, listen. Malachi 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, meaning Israel, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me. I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Meaning, how do we get back into relationship, God? Okay, yeah, we have not obeyed and it's gotten bad. In fact, you told us that when we don't obey, it gets bad because you want us to walk in life and we want to do our own thing. God, how do we return back to you? Will man rob God? Verse eight, yet you have robbing me. You say, well, have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Thereby, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, for that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine in your field. It shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. All nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. 
Because we have a taking heart, God created a system by which that heart could stay in check. Okay? How many of you like to go bowling? Liars. Come on. It's fun, right? Bowling's fun. How many of you like to bowl and win? That'd be awesome. I'd be like, I've never experienced that before. So you put up those little bumpers, right? You put up the bumpers, right? That's how, why not? You need those little bumpers so you don't go off the side. God says, listen, it is your heart to do something it's not supposed to do and to end up in a place we're not supposed to end up. So I'm going to create bumpers, if you will. When it comes to your culture and it comes to finances and it comes to what you possess, 10% needs to come to me. Does he need it? No. Now, God does a lot of things with the tithe. That's what a tenth means. It means, I mean, a, a tithe means tenth. That's how he cares for other people. That's how he subsidizes the ministry. He doesn't need it, but it helps keep the heart in check. They had stopped doing that. He says, you're robbing me. You want to return to me? Bring in the whole tithe. The whole tithe. As a result... The chaos that you're experiencing, I will push back. And your land will be blessed. In fact, other people will say, man, what a blessing. They are a blessing. He says, bring in the whole tithe. That's hard when you have a taking heart. I thought about that some more. What's another way of understanding whole tithe? Maybe that could also mean whole heart whole heart. Does God have my whole heart? Or is it a Sunday morning sliver? I like to give God his Sunday morning sliver. It's a tip. I give God a tip. God says, give me the whole heart. Not just a Sunday morning sliver. Then I started to think, just because of uh, seasons of ministry and where I have been walking as a pastor and a counselor in this church family. Maybe whole tithe means to you today the whole truth. Bringing God the whole truth. We don't share the whole truth. We share the happy part. The good part. How are things? Fine. Fine. But you see, by not sharing the whole truth, we rob God of the opportunity of bringing grace and healing to our life. Because we don't share the whole truth with our brothers and sisters in ministry, the whole truth with our mentors and our pastors, because we don't share the whole truth, we rob them of the opportunity of being vessels of God's grace to bring about our healing and our restoration. When we don't share the whole truth, we take and we rob and we steal. And really, you rob yourself the most. So we won't talk about our alcoholism, and we won't talk about our sex addiction, and we won't talk about our failing marriage, and we won't talk about our challenges at work, and we won't talk about our sin that's been plaguing us our whole life, and we won't talk about our spouse and what they said and what they did. And we won't talk about our kids and how they're breaking our hearts. And we won't talk about what keeps us up at night. 
we don't share the whole truth. Because truth be told, you don't want a pastor, you want a funeral director. You want someone who'll make you look alive when there's no life there to begin with. And I'm just tired right now. And I know I'm not talking to everybody, but maybe by the Spirit, to some of you I am. And it would have been a whole lot easier to have a more effective relationship and counseling if we were honest about the truth months ago or years ago. Not that you would receive judgment. Good brother and I had a long conversation about judgment this week. Judgment is the grounds for correcting and the means by which we receive grace. Judgment is saying, this is wrong. Can God help 100%? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. So when you read the whole truth and when you read the whole tithe and you read the, the whole heart of things, ask yourself, am I stealing? Am I stealing? Am I stealing from my family joy that they could receive? Am I stealing grace that my church family might walk in? Am I robbing God of an opportunity of bringing healing? Am I robbing myself of a story worth celebrating? We have a taking heart. If you go back to that passage in Luke chapter 12, Luke 12, Jesus continues after he gives the illustration of the rich fool. He continues in verse 22, Luke 12, verse 22. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, meaning because of what I just told you, let me tell you this. Don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, about your body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food. The body more than clothing. Remember about life. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have neither storehouse or barn. God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Remember, this is about life. If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat, what you're to drink. Be, don't be worried. All the nations of the world, they seek after those things. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, you seek his kingdom. These things will be added to you. So fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old. Treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Jesus warns, he says, you can't love God and money at the same time. You're going to serve one or the other. And so how do we arrest this, this heart of ours, this taking, stealing heart? Maybe it begins by coming to a place where we receive from God. We receive from him. He says, for the Father loves to give. The Father gives. It's his good pleasure to give. He's a giving God. For God so loved the world that he gives. He gives life. Why did I wake up this morning? He gave me life. He gave me breath. He gave me this green vest. <laughs> My hobbit vest. He gives me friends. He gives me church. He gives me family. He gives me. He gives me. I need to remember that I receive it is the human condition to receive. Don't take, I receive. But he says, receive the kingdom. He wants to give me the kingdom. That means I might need to go through and relabel some things in my life to help me re-understand some things. That it's about a kingdom purpose and a kingdom agenda. And this story is going to a kingdom place. That what I have right now is to be a vehicle of ministry to help others walk in kingdom. So it's not a car. It's a holy car. It's not a house. It's a holy house. It's holy time. It's holy friends. Everything is holy unto God. That's what God did. If you look at the tabernacle, when he had Israel build them, this is that table. It's a holy table. It's my table. It's for doing my work at that table. Those, that cup, it's a holy cup. That's a holy space. This is where kingdom things happen. Maybe I need to go through and start labeling some things differently. Re-understand and relabel them. Because it's about kingdom. It's not about empire. Maybe I need to learn how to release some things. To understand what is enough. And to give it away. He says, right? He says, he says in verse 32, it says, it's a good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So you sell your possessions and you give to the needy. Now some have sold everything and, and they do that and that's fine. Is God asking you to sell everything? No. So maybe he's directly asking you to do that but a wise follower of Jesus Christ understands what's enough. They understand the responsibility to care for the poor. Why? Because we're called to be image bearers of God. So we give ourselves margin. We work the budget. We give to God first. We release. We give. Why do we give? Because our Father Gives. And what's the result? What's the result? True treasure. Real treasure. He says your life is thief proof. You invest in treasure that no one can take from you. The stock market can't take it from you. The government can't take it from you. The bad guy down the street can't take it from you. The future can't take it from you. Invest in something that can't be taken away. One more passage. Timothy ties this up. Excuse me, Paul ties this up in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy was a, an apprentice of the apostle Paul, and uh, Timothy was going through churches, trying to raise up elders. And um, 
take the things that the Apostle Paul had taught to help churches thrive and to grow in the gospel. At the end of the letter, Paul says these things to kind of help them remember what matters most. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves from many pangs. Well, my, my heart can lead me astray. My heart can shipwreck my faith. I can chase after the wrong thing down the wrong path and you go down the wrong path, you end up in the wrong place because of my love of money. First Timothy six seventeen. As for the rich in the present age, everyone hold up your hand. Everyone do it. It's fine. You're not Pentecostal because you raised your hand. You'll be fine. I promise. Everyone raise your hand. Okay, that's you. You're rich. You get it? You understand it? You live in the wealthiest nation at the wealthiest time of all humanity. Put your hand down. You are the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. You are wealthy. You are rich in the present age. Well, I don't feel it, but... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Why? Because he gives, and he gives so I receive. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Isn't that what it's all about? That what is truly life. I've had us all over the place, passages wise. But maybe we can bring it back just a little bit, okay? To return to God, to come back to a place of repentance, he said, begins with the whole tithe. What might that mean for me today as we think about don't take, don't steal, a heart that takes? How do I keep that in check? Maybe for you that means the whole tithe. Maybe it means you need to begin tithing obediently, biblically. If you have no idea how to do that, we have an amazing finance team who loves to come alongside, provide budget counseling and help and hope. But even more than that, I'll give you this challenge. I didn't tell Rose I was going to do this. If you've never tithed before, that means always giving an allotted amount. Normally means 10% to God. You do that for 90 days. You do that for three months. If at the end, God didn't show up in your life, we'll give you all the money back. We don't need it. God does pretty well by us here. Amazingly well. But take that as an assurance. If chaos has overwhelmed you, I suggest a place to start because that's what God said. If you feel like you need to return, then let's start with tithing. Let's put God first there. Let's arrest that taking heart of yours. 
Then for 90 days, however paychecks that is, you tithe to God. We'll keep track of it. You get to the end of the three months. You're like, you know what? God really didn't show up in my life. Can I have the money back? Absolutely. We'll give it right back to you. But again and again and again, as I have seen, as people will attest, you begin being obedient to God in the area of the tithe. And he does exactly what he says. You start to experience him in amazing ways in all aspects of your life. All aspects of your life. Maybe for you, a whole tithe means just that today, the tithe. Or maybe it means the whole truth. Maybe you're robbing God and you're robbing the church and you're robbing yourself because you won't tell the whole truth. This is me today. And I've worked real hard to make sure nobody knows. Maybe today we can start telling the truth. God's incredible blessing to you, okay, is that you have a pastor who's really screwed up. Meaning, I don't come to the table with any platform for judgment. But I do come with much compassion and grace. but by the grace of God. For I once was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see. So maybe on your connection card, in fact, let's tear that out. Everyone tear it out, it's fun. It feels good to destroy things. <laughs> Everyone take out the, it's, it's, it's the perforated part that's on the big part. You just tear, just tear. Tear that out. Maybe for you, when we talk about stealing, maybe it's the 90-day challenge. You write that in, we'll sit down, we'll give you a call, we'll start. What does that look like for you? Right, Rose? That's right. We're passionate about it because we've seen God change people's lives. So maybe for you, stealing is about, all right, a 90-day challenge. Or maybe it's the whole truth. And that's all I need you to write down on that card. Just write down the whole truth. And we'll sit down and we'll talk. Ask yourself, are you stealing? From yourself? Are you robbing yourself of the amazing grace and hope and future that he has destined for all who call on him by name? So the psalmist says in the end of Psalm 91, because he knows my name, I will rescue him and with long life, I will honor him. No wonder it says, don't steal. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, 
to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.